It was September of 1996. Alanis Morissette and the Smashing Pumpkins won huge at the MTV Video Music Awards. The Nintendo 64 video game console debuted. Hurricane Fran made landfall in North Carolina just a few weeks as roughly the same area was hit by Hurricane Bertha. And on September 13th, the world lost one of its most talented and resilient artists after being shot a week prior. Hello and welcome to the Pop Culture Retrospective Podcast. I am your host, Amy, and this podcast is dedicated to the memory of my sister, Rebecca, and her love for all things pop culture, especially memories from our childhood and adolescence in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. You are tuning into episode number two, Tupac Shakur, a man who lived a pretty extraordinary life in just 25 years. In today's episode, you will learn how Tupac's tough childhood inspired his success in adulthood and how compassionate he was even though he was often portrayed differently in the media. So kick up your feet, rest your head, or focus on the road. Here we go. Lassane Parrish Cooks was born on June 16, 1971. He was born in East Harlem, New York. He grew up living in the ghetto, His mother's name was Alice Faye Williams, and she would later change her name to Afini Shakur and would change Lassane's name to Tupac. His mother was a revolutionary, and some family members were involved with the Black Panthers. Through his mother's involvement with the Black Panthers, she and several other people were accused of scheming to set off bombs in public places in New York City. She was pregnant with Tupac while she was out of jail on bail and was awaiting trial. She represented herself when she went to trial, and she got herself and the others out of trouble. She had a really amazing ability to articulate and speak with passion and intensity, and this definitely rubbed off on her son. Coincidentally, later in life, she became a legal assistant. Tupac grew up surrounded by single mothers, which helped him to develop a deep appreciation of mothers. Tupac's father abandoned the family when he was about four or five years old, and Tupac didn't see him again until he was 23. At an early age, he became a pretty serious actor. At 12 years old, he performed his first stage role, Travis and the Raisin in the Sun, which was performed at the esteemed Apollo Theater for Jesse Jackson's 1984 campaign. He studied arts in high school, including ballet, jazz, acting, and poetry. He participated in a lot of rap competitions and won his school's award for Best Rapper. Unfortunately, Tupac's mother really struggled when he was growing up. She developed a crack cocaine addiction, and the family was often on welfare and they moved around a lot. His mother didn't graduate high school, and by the time he was 13 years old, he had moved 20 times. One thing I found fascinating to learn was that when Tupac was a teenager, some of his favorite musicians were, are you ready for this? Culture Club, U2, and Sinead O'Connor. Yep, Pope Ripping Pictures, Karma Chameleon, Sunday Bloody Sunday. There you go. At 15, he moved from New York City to Baltimore 
and attended the Baltimore School of Arts. He really stood out there for his amazing acting ability and intensity. During his time at school in Baltimore, he met Jada Pinkett Smith, and they remained friends. He later moved to Marin City, California, and he stood out again there for his impressive acting ability. Unfortunately, he didn't graduate. He said he needed just a health and PE credit to graduate. Gosh darn it. He became kind of disenfranchised from school. He felt school really didn't align with his viewpoints. So he was a high school dropout, but he did find work a few times. Tupac said that he's only ever worked two real jobs, the first one being at Round Table Pizza, which he really enjoyed because he got to sample on a lot of the pizza. And then he was also a bagger at a grocery store, which I really appreciate because that was my first job too. He was fired, though, because too often he was caught writing raps at the time clock, and the same thing happened to me. Not really. Anyways, he began recording music in 1989 and attending poetry classes taught by a woman named Lila Steinberg, who ran programming for at-risk youth. He met her in a park when they struck up a conversation about Winnie Mandela. She later became his manager and helped him get a record deal, which eventually led to him joining the rap group Digital Underground, first as a roadie, and then he performed on one of their songs. A few years later, in 1991, he released his first solo album called Tupacalypse Now. Many famous rappers like Eminem cite this as being a source of inspiration for them. The record touches on economic disadvantages, life on the street, and unfortunately premonitions about his death, which was a reoccurring theme in many of his songs and often during interviews. Dan Quayle, who was vice president at the time, really questioned the album's release, but Tupac really defended himself, saying he was just trying to portray the struggles of young black men. At the time, many people, the media, really pointed their fingers at him and blamed him for kind of creating this environment of gangster rapping, but he really felt like he wasn't trying to glorify being a a rapper or being a gangster. He was simply trying to explain where he had come from. That album sold about half a million copies. In 1992, he starred in the movie Juice, which tells the story of four young black men growing up on the streets of Harlem. In 1993, he starred in Poetic Justice opposite Janet Jackson, but her first name ain't Baby, it's Janet. Miss Jackson, if you're nasty. I love Janet Jackson, that's why I said that. I'm not kidding. I was supposed to see her in concert, but she had to cancel because she decided to have a baby. I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. Anyways, the movie tells the story of a young woman who is coping with the tragic loss of her boyfriend. She and some friends, along with Tupac, end up going on a road trip. There is a romantic scene between the two of them in the movie, and he alleges that he was told by multiple people that he needed to take an AIDS test, which he was quite offended by. He and Janet Jackson had some chemistry on and off the screen, but oddly enough, He said that she changed her phone number when filming Wrapped. The movie wasn't a big hit at the box office, but his acting ability was apparent, and it remains a cult favorite. And if you've ever seen Tupac in a movie, or if you've seen him in an interview, he is extremely well-spoken, very handsome, very charming, very articulate, and very engaging and intense. It's completely understandable why he had so much appeal as both an actor and a rapper. His second album was released in 1993, called Strictly For My, word I don't want to say, which featured the famed rapper Ice Cube. It included songs like I Get Around and Keep Your Head Up, 
which is an ode to female empowerment and how much society often degrades them. This album sold over a million copies. Also in 1993, he got into a shootout with two off-duty police officers in Georgia. That same year, a limo driver accused him of using drugs in his vehicle. He also spent 10 days in jail after taking a swing at a rapper from Michigan. Tupac often became the poster child of everything wrong with gangster rap, as the media said, and he was often referred to as a thug. And he completely owned that he was a thug. As he said, he came from the gutter. He wasn't trying to promote it. He was just writing about his life and rapping about it. In 1994, he starred in Above the Rim, which is a story about a young man who is a star on his high school basketball team and the friendship he has with a man who is a security guard at his high school. He too was once a promising basketball player, but he ends up being a drug dealer. Side note, this film has an excellent soundtrack, including the hit song Regulate by Warren G., which is one of my favorite songs for the mid-1990s, and was playing today when I got my hair cut for the first time in three months. Another side side note, someone took the time to dub the song over clips of Burton Ernie from Sesame Street. I'm really not sure how I stumbled upon this on YouTube, but it was well worth the three minutes it took to watch it. It is the most random mashup, but it works better than you'd think. In another interesting YouTube video, somebody did a mashup of Sesame Street with Outcasts Miss Jackson, and it's pretty brilliant. In 1994, he was accused of assaulting a woman in a nightclub. Many of his close female friends were interviewed, female friends that he'd known for quite a long time, and they felt that this accusation was false. People would say stuff to him as he was walking down the street about the situation, and it really, really hurt him. In November of 1994, while he was on trial for this assault, he was robbed and shot as he was entering a music studio. He was shot five times and took two shots to the head. His manager was also injured. He accused P. Diddy, then known as Puff Daddy, and the notorious B.I.G. There was a bit of a rivalry between Tupac and B.I.G. They were both you know, very famous at this time, and they would sometimes write diss tracks uh, towards each other and perform them. Pretty you know, hurtful language, so there was certainly a bit of tension there, but Puff Daddy and the Notorious B.I.G. Um, denied this allegation. It was said, though, that this is what started the whole East Coast-West Coast rivalry, which I actually kind of forgot about until I was researching Tupac. He attended his court date the same day that he was released from the hospital. He didn't want the jury to think that it was a publicity stunt. He was wheeled into the courtroom in a wheelchair. He was convicted of the assault charges, but he was acquitted of more serious charges. He ended up spending nine months in jail. People assumed him going to jail was some sort of an ego thing or a self-fulfilling prophecy, since so many people viewed him as a gangster rapper. He actually felt like prison really and truly killed his spirit. He wrote a screenplay while in prison. He read a lot, including works by Maya Angelou and he ended up writing just one song while he was in prison, which is pretty unusual for him because he was constantly writing the lyrics to music. One interesting thing that I read about was that while Tupac was in prison, Tony Danza wrote him a letter, which I thought was quite interesting. But, you know, he probably had a little bit more time on his hands because 
Who's the Boss had gone off the air in 1992. So it had been a couple of years. I'm sure he had a lot of time to pen Tupac a nice letter. While he was in jail, his third album was released, and it is described as Tupac's masterpiece. The album is called Me Against the World. He was the first artist in history to have a number one Billboard album while in prison. It is considered one of the most influential albums of all time and sold almost 250,000 copies during its first week of release, which we all know by today's standards, that would never happen. So that's pretty incredible. It includes one of the most famous songs, Dear Mama, which is another ode to women, but this time it was for his mother. Tupac wrote this song after he received a nine-page letter from his mom while she was in rehab. While he had been hurt and neglected by his mother as a child, he still respected her and what she had been through. This was probably my sister's favorite song by Tupac, and she would often rap some of the lyrics to my mom. Though as charismatic as my sister was, she definitely would not have made a good rapper. She definitely had a very unique way of dancing, let's just put it that way. But here are some of the lyrics to Dear Mama. When I was young, me and my mama had beef, 17 years old, kicked out on the streets, Though back at the time, I never thought I'd see her face. Ain't a woman alive that could take my mama's place. Suspended from school and scared to go home, I was a fool. With the big boys breaking all the rules. I shed tears with my baby sister. Over the years, we was poorer than the other little kids. In addition to some controversy over some of the altercations that Tupac had throughout his life, people also were upset with him because his lyrics would sometimes contradict each other. On one hand, he would be praising women in some songs, and then sometimes he would defame them. He would sometimes talk about crime and violence being bad, and then he would glorify it in some of his songs. In 1996, we saw the release of All Eyes on Me, which would be the last one released during his lifetime. It features some of his more well-known songs, such as How Do You Want It and California Love, which was another one of my sister's favorite songs. She had always dreamt of living in California and thankfully had the chance to do that for several years. There was a whole other side of Tupac aside from his music, and I think a lot of people don't know about it because, you know, in the mid-1990s, we didn't have social media and Instagram and Twitter to sort of announce everything that famous people are doing. He was truly an artist and was described as a pavement poet. Tupac would often write lyrics while traveling in vehicles. He would have his driver stop at a store and he'd go in, grab a notepad and a pen and start writing. Later in the day, he would record lyrics over beats. Tupac once received a letter from parents of a dying boy named Joshua. He flew to Maryland as they said it was their son's last wish to meet him. He took the boy to a basketball game and he named his publishing company after him. One young girl was supposed to meet Janet Jackson through the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Janet Jackson strikes again! JJ, what's up with this time? Janet had to switch locations for their meeting, and that didn't work for the young girl's family, and as it turned out, JJ was pretty busy at the time, so she wasn't going to have a lot of time to spend with the young girl. So the family decided that maybe they should look at doing something different. They decided that maybe it would be good for the young girl to spend the day with Tupac. Although he had an incredibly busy schedule, the young girl was able to come with him to the recording studio and watch him perform some music, and she also got the chance to do it as well. So she spent all day with Tupac, 
And according to what I was able to find out about the Make-A-Wish Foundation, you know, the celebrities really decide how long the visit's going to be with the child that's made the wish. And Janet Jackson, you know, is very famous and involved in a lot of stuff, you know, especially at this time. So, you know, it was understandable that she didn't have a lot of time to give, but, you know, Tupac gave her the whole day. Tupac bought his mother a home, even though she had her shortcomings. He still wanted to help her and wanted to see her living somewhere nice and safe. Just before his passing, he was working on the development of a celebrity youth football league, where the celebrity would essentially sponsor a youth sports league, buy their uniforms, hire coaches, etc. He also put together a benefit concert to help a new nonprofit organization that was developing at the time called A Place Called Home, and it works to empower at-risk youth. It was also reported that Tupac was financially supporting many, many family members, maybe like 30 to 40, while he was alive. On September 7, 1996, Tupac went to Las Vegas because he was going to see a Mike Tyson fight. He ended up getting into a fist fight with somebody at a hotel, but his bodyguard thankfully broke it up. He had recently purchased a medallion that he was wearing around his neck when this fight ensued, and it broke during the fight. It had a black angel of death on it. Later, Tupac was shot while driving as a passenger in Suge Knight's car. Suge Knight, in case you don't know, he is a music executive that used to work with Death Row Records. Tupac died seven days later. He was only 25. Tupac often discussed the potential for him to have his life cut short in his songs. He was also asked by a reporter once, where do you see yourself in 20 years? He replied, if God gives me breath for 20 years, I want to change the world. A lot happened after Tupac passed away. First, his mom sued Death Row Records for royalty payments, but Death Row said that Tupac owed them money for advancements that he got for his pay that he used to buy jewelry and cars. And allegedly his father wanted half of his estate, even though he abandoned him when he was just four years old. Tupac has at least 170 unreleased songs and poetry. The Las Vegas Police Department feel like they know who shot Tupac, but they don't have enough evidence to convict someone. Tupac has sold a combined total of 75 million records, both during his life and posthumously. Following his death, a movie was released which he had starred in. Unfortunately, that movie's name was Bullet. Many conspiracies about him still being alive have been proposed. Someone referred to him as the new Elvis. My sister and I watched a special on TV when we stayed at my grandmother's house one summer, and it was about how people had seen Elvis sightings all around the country, and it freaked me out so much because, you know, he was sort of viewed as kind of like a, a ghost coming to visit, and I was unable to sleep that night, and I want to say I maybe called my mom crying. So the fact that he was referred to as a new Elvis is a little odd, but um, but I guess understandable. Kim Kardashian, of all people, claims that she saw him in 2012. My favorite posthumous song by Tupac has to be Until the End of Time. And this song is brilliantly sampled over, are you ready for this? Mr. Mister's masterpiece, Broken Wings. 
which I often listen to while driving with my grandparents, sitting in the middle seat in the front. The lyrics are written like a beautiful poem. The hook really hits home for me. I cheer up a bit every time I I hear it because it reminds me of my sister. Take these broken wings. I need your hands to come and heal me once again so I can fly away till the end of time. On April 7th, 2017, Tupac was inducted into the Rock and Roll Music Hall of Fame, which seems very fitting and very appropriate. Frank Alexander was Tupac's bodyguard, and he was interviewed for a documentary about Tupac, and he had this to say, and it really struck a chord with me because I feel like I could relate a bit to what he said about Tupac. I'll always remember the night they took my homeboy. I try to black it out, but it keeps replaying again and again. In my heart is where I will keep Tupac, and now half of my heart is filled with death. To Tupac, I'll always miss you. You were the voice of our generation. If there's one thing I want all of his fans to know, it is this. Tupac had a truly loving heart. No matter what you hear or what you read, believe me when I tell you, his heart was filled with love. I know why so many of you want to believe he is alive in this world. You're all hoping to hear his music again. The truth is, he is in a better place, a place where his heart is trouble-free. I hope you've enjoyed this look back on the life and impact of Tupac Shakur. It is inspiring what he was able to overcome in his early years and how determined he was to be a rapper despite being dealt such a tough hand. Although he died at such a young age, I think his legacy will live on for generations to come. I've spent a lot of time listening to his music lately, and now I think I understand why he was such a well-respected musician and is still such a well-respected musician. I think I also now understand why my sister enjoyed his music and his story. I think there were some aspects of his life that she could relate to or at least empathize with. She knew what it was like to be an underdog, that was misunderstood. Yet at the same time, she and Tupac were discreetly brilliant people. I hope you will consider subscribing to the Pop Culture Retrospective Podcast on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. I also hope you'll join me for my next episode, where we will discuss the short-lived but impactful TV show from 1994 that had many an adolescent girl across the country dyeing their hair red, including my sister, my so-called life. For now, though, be kind, be safe, and hold on to your memories.